Hello and welcome to Hadfield Education's webinar series of Good to Great, where I interview the leading educators in the UK. And today I'm very fortunate to have Liam Powell. Liam is currently the head teacher at Manor High School in Leicestershire. And yeah, welcome Liam. How's, uh, how's school treating you today? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Nice sunny day here in Leicester. Excellent. Excellent. So tell me, Liam, what, what actually um, took you into, into teaching and into education? Well, um, I finished my degree and I went off and I did some postgraduate studies and then I worked for British Telecom um, for a couple of years. And then I realised that I was really missing the subjects that I'd studied for all of those years, which were basically history and politics. And I had a real desire to get back in to those subjects and share that passion and share all the knowledge and learning that I'd built up um, with young people. Fantastic. And um, so when did you start out? Um, I started teaching in 1993 in the Leicester area and I was teaching history and politics through from 11 to 18 year olds. Then I headed over to uh, rugby, to Ashlawn School in rugby, worked there for about six years, then 12 years at Kingsthorpe in Northampton. And then I've, this is my seventh year here in uh, Manor High in Leicester. Brilliant, brilliant. And in terms of new uh, well, student teachers that are entering into the profession, obviously there's been a real change from when you first qualified. What kind of advice would you give to them? Um, I think the main thing is to enjoy the job. Above all else, remember why you're doing it and enjoy it um, and make it interesting. Bring your own life experiences into your learning. Plan your lessons well. Plan lots of pace. Um, and try and concentrate on the good things about the job. The, the media, we sometimes hear negatives about it, but actually it's a fantastic job. And the relationship you build up with young people, um, I'll just give an example of that. Um, I'm, I am now back in touch with someone that I taught 25 years ago, and she's the head of a law firm now. And those kind of connections, she comes in and talks to my um, students now. And that's something I never would have imagined 25 years ago when I was I was teaching her GCSE that, that, you know, 25 years later, I could be meeting up again and she'd be working with me to support young people. So the relationships you build up in those early years are so important. Absolutely. And in terms of education, from my own personal experience, I always believed that my teachers uh, or the teachers that taught me, they saw teaching as, as, as their vocation. It was sort of a meaning to them. Um, do you still think that's the case within education? Yeah, I think um, there are lots of hoops that you have to jump through, lots of things that you have to do um, to be effective and to meet the quality assurance and the inspection processes. You have to tick lots of boxes. But unless you're doing it as a vocation with a sense of purpose, the job will be too hard. You have to have that passion there. You have to have that sense of, of uh, civic public duty. Um, and I feel sorry for people if they don't have that because it, it's critical. And as a head teacher, you really rely on people coming into the profession and going the extra mile. And a lot of the work that people do, in fact, is actually unpaid. It is staying behind after school to help someone who's stuck. It's going and watching the cross country at the weekend or the sports teams, or it's rehearsing with the kids in the, in the orchestra after school. Those are the things that can't really be included in, in, the, in the job description and the hours of the job, but they're the things that make a difference. And that's what the children really appreciate. They can tell the people who go the extra mile for them. So you have to have that vocation. Absolutely. And, and talking about your team, what, what, what do you feel makes a, a good sort of senior leadership team um, within a school? I think that's a really good question. The joke that's often made about building a team is that you try and um, build an aircraft while it's in the air. And that's what you do when you walk, go into a school or any organisation, you inherit a team. 
And you have to look for people's strengths and you have to try and build on them. And then there are some people who, for whatever reason, don't fit into that vision and, and, and the team that you're trying to build. So it is quite, it is quite difficult um, to do, and, but it's really important. I would say relationship building and team building is absolutely critical. And what you're looking for really isn't necessarily people with the qualifications. You're looking for people who um, have that can-do attitude. Um, yeah. And they, they really share that vision with you and they'll take things on and they'll come to you with ideas and solutions rather than um, just looking at each problem on its own and, and, and being stuck on it. Um, having that attitude collectively, you all sort of feed off that after a while and, and that builds its own momentum. And how did you find the progression from being in sort of a, a senior leadership position to then taking the, the headship? It, it's a massive jump and I think it's not for everyone um, and there's, there's that thing about you are the jockey in the saddle and ultimately you have to decide. The way I go about it is to share all decision making with my team because I completely trust them and there's that whole thing that if I suddenly were out, out of the picture for whatever reason they'd need to be able to carry on keeping the school going in the same way. So um, it's about sharing ideas but ultimately making the decision. What I've tried to do very strongly is to avoid any sense of a blame culture. So if things do go wrong, they go wrong. But ultimately, as the head teacher, anything that's wrong in the organisation is your fault, one way or another. So there's no point having a blame culture. You've just got to say, right, okay, what's the issue? How do we deal with it? How do we move this forward? And I think if your team has got that, that philosophy, um, you can really, you can, there's, the sky is the limit. And what advice would you give to any sort of budding heads? Um, there are lots of, of assistant and, and deputies who I speak to um, that are contemplating taking a headship. What, what advice would you give them? I would say to them, it is still, um, despite the pressures, it is still the best job in the world. It is a, an amazing opportunity to lead a school in the way that you believe in. Um, so my advice to them would be, go for it. Um, don't back out of um, the opportunities if they present themselves. If the doors are open, go through them and, and see, see where it leads. There's nothing worse than if you, you might find yourself regretting if you didn't go for it. The other thing is look at your strengths and look at what you perceive to be your weaknesses. And actually, you might find that those weaknesses are actually strengths. So I'll just give an example of that. I'm always quite impatient. I always like to get everything done really quickly, um, sometimes too much of a perfectionist. And, and I thought those were things that were holding me back at one time before I became head. But in the end, I realised that that sort of commitment and that determination, um, those things became really important. And as long as you can manage the impatience, you can turn it to your advantage. And, and that is that it gives you that sense of I am going to get this done. Whatever happens, nothing is going to get in my way. Um, so, so what you might see as a weakness could actually turn out to be a strength. And I really would advise people to go for headship. It, it is a brilliant job. And, and like you say, I think... The, the, the impact that you have, everybody, I remember my head teachers from, from my education and the support and they knew everybody's, the thing that really impressed me was they knew everybody's name and, and could, could relate to, you know, each individual, um, which was yeah. really, really important, really important. Absolutely critical. And um, I, I run a school of 900 and we've taken the school through amazing uh, changes. It started off 50 years ago as an 11 to 14 school. Then 30 years ago, it became a 10 to 14 school. And then two years ago, we became an 11 to 16 school. Um, but what we've done is we've committed to keeping the school at the same size. So 
Our school has 900 pupils. We've gone from four-year groups to five, but we've managed it in a way that we keep the overall size of the school the same. We really strongly believe in that. Now, I'm a non-teaching head teacher. I sometimes do get support. You know, I support with um, uh, revision sessions and things like that. But because I do the morning duty, the after-school duty, the break duty, the lunch duty, I walk the corridors, I go into lessons. I actually know almost all of my students by name and I know their families as well. And they wave when they go past in the morning in the cars when they're doing the drop off and build up a relationship with the bus driver on the school bus. And all these things really matter. It means that you get to know people. And I think you then don't get the problems around uh, behavior and attendance and all those type of things because people believe in what you're doing and they can see that you are actually walking the line yourself um, and that you believe in it. So people are much more likely to buy in then. And what other initiatives uh, are you implementing, like new initiatives to, to move school forward? Um, we, we've tried to move away from the old kind of judgmental um, model of looking at people's teaching. So we have a very inclusive approach now, which is based on a dialogue. So you'll observe someone teaching and then you have a dialogue about it afterwards along a set of criteria. Um, and the person being observed has as much of a say into that as the person um, doing the observing. Then we have lots of other things that go on around the school, which you've probably seen on LinkedIn, which is uh, things like the Hot Chocolate Friday, the, the Magic of Manor initiatives. Our big thing at the moment is we're trying to work. We have more boys than girls in our school. Um, we're outside the national average for that um, proportions. And we're really interested in the work around mental health at the moment. So we've got a huge drive on that going. Just managed to hook up with a couple of people on, on LinkedIn. Um, Luke Ambler is, is one of them. Um, I'm very, very interested in, in some of the stats around men's mental health. I, I was really shocked recently when I found out that suicide is the biggest killer of men under 45. And that outweighs road accidents, cancer, and lots of other things that, that take people's lives. So there's something wrong. If, if that is a stat that is real, there's something wrong in our society. So we're looking at boys early on now and saying, what can we do to give them the resilience, the strength, uh, the positivity that they're going to need with all of the challenges that they're going to face in their lives. We're not losing sight of the girls as well, but mental health and well-being is a big focus for us right now. Brilliant. And, and like you say, the mental health issue has, has really, in the last 18 months, just, just at yeah. the forefront of everybody's minds within, not only within education, but within the, the, the whole sort of so society and, and social structure. Um, and looking at the, you know, the way in which people are sort of that you know you see the exterior but you don't necessarily know what's happening behind closed doors do you yeah. um excellent the hot job sorry go on no and boys aren't encouraged to share as well you know and and to share their feelings and and this other so we we're really trying to get them to talk that's that's where we're starting and obviously as the dad of two teenage boys i i see it from both sides of the fence yeah absolutely well i like you say being being a uh, a young young lad growing up at school it wasn't it wasn't cool to share your feelings you know you had to have that that um pretense of of being sort of indestructible and nothing bothered you and it's so it's so so different now so different um yeah, and, and certainly a really really good initiative um to yeah. get behind and in terms of the the, the school and and you've done some work with spark spark academy yeah, we do lots of work. Um, Spark Academy are really good. Uh, Mittal Thanki is the CEO of uh, Spark Academy. She was Asian Businesswoman of the Year a couple of years ago. And um, she actually uses our site in the evening. And we've done lots of collaborative work together. And she supports with our after-school interventions and revision and this sort of thing. I suppose what I've learned from that really is you, you can never do enough partnership work. These people just come along and 
you know, she wanted to meet up initially. And from that, we've now got this amazing system where lots and lots of children in this part of Leicester are, are, are undergoing tutoring every night in our school. Um, the, a lot of the behaviour with stuff we do, a lot of the behaviour work is based on relationship building and the kind of counterintuitive um, strategies that we have that work really well. And we got a lot of those from Pivotal and Paul Dix, who I also managed to meet through, through LinkedIn as well. And that, that partnership thing is really important. Also in the school, we're now part of a multi-academy trust as well. So we're working with four local primaries and the, the learning across that three to 16 journey is incredible there. And then I chair a group called the Excellence Group, which is nine secondary schools, all of whom have gone through age, age range change. And we work really closely together and we beg, borrow and steal each other's ideas and uh, just keep sharing initiatives. So, for example, we're in the run into the exam season now and we're, we're sharing ideas on what can you do in the final furlong to just make a difference, to just boost people's confidence. So all of that partnership work is, is so powerful. The Hot Shop Friday thing that I do on a Friday, that really came from Paul Dix and Pivotal. And, and that's been amazing. And the, the idea, the thinking behind that is that instead of spending 95% of your time as a head teacher with the 5% who get it wrong, you actually flip that round and you try and make sure that you spend more time with the kids who just get it right every single day. They open doors, they say hello, they're friendly, they do the work, they're nice to each other, they help each other out if they've got a problem or anything like that. And, and the other reason for it is it means I end the week on a real positive. So as I try and fit as many students as I can each week, but you end up having this lovely experience where you go away on a Friday evening thinking, wow, I really do work in an amazing school full of confident young people. So there, it, it, there are lots of reasons for it really. Definitely. And, and it, it really is. It's, it's just really lovely to actually see students with the hot chocolate having, well, an, an adult situation with, yeah. with their head, which, again, can, can sometimes be a little bit daunting for, yeah. um, for students because they don't, I don't think they necessarily see, they, they see the head in, in that light and in, yeah. in that um, and circumstance. Um, think they're in trouble you know and they, they come along on a friday they go oh, why have i got to go and see the head and then you actually have a hot chocolate and they can bring their lunch up and it and it turns out to be a nice experience brilliant brilliant well you talk about multi-academy trust and and um the the work that you do there where do you see the education sector moving forward in in say the next five years it, it's interesting because um as uh, 10 years ago we were all fairly independent schools working under um local authority supervision that's all changed in a very, very short space of time, you know, below a decade, really, for all of that to happen. Now, we, um, we, we were one of the first schools in this locality to academise. Then the next drive became not, um, not standing alone as an academy and becoming part of a multi-academy trust. So that's the next thing we've done. I think what's going to happen is that we're going to have um, a, a, a patchwork across the whole country of increasingly large multi-academy trusts. And almost what we'll end up with is, is a replacement for the, the old system of local authorities. And you'll have networks of, of multi-academy trusts instead. I suspect that larger ones will start to absorb smaller ones and there'll be fewer and fewer of them across the country, which I guess from the DfE point of view would be easier to manage because it's fewer sets of elbows around a table and therefore easier to lead, I would imagine. And in terms of uh, in school, how do you, um, so with the multi-academy trust that you work with at the moment, is that, yes. um, did you say that was secondary and primary or is, is... it's, um, it's secondary and primary. So we're, we're the, we are the secondary school in that trust. 
Right. And then we work with four primaries, one of which is on our site. And then there are two a few miles away. And then in the other direction, there's another primary. Um, and we really came together as ethos driven professional friends who thought, hang on, we're all teaching the same children in the same community, working with the same families. Let's try and get rid of the disjointed nature of transitions. So children, you know, make these transfers and it becomes a huge thing for the family. You know, which school am I going to get? into um i'm meeting new people i won't know anyone i won't have my friends with me um so what we, we're trying to do is say right okay let's look at the whole journey then so we've got a preschool set up for three-year-olds and then the children leave us at 16 how can we join all the dots through that process so for example one thing we've got going at the moment is that all of our deputies from all of the schools are working together on a project around literacy um, reading writing and oracy skills and communication skills as well and already it's starting to, to make some ground. And we've got so much at secondary level that we can learn from the primaries. We've got to overcome that danger of treating children as if they're brand new to education when they come into to year seven, age 11. But actually they've had um, a very rich education before that. How can we build on that so that it becomes um, seamless? So that's a really exciting thing to do. The, another thing we're working on at the moment is, um, obviously Leicester is an interesting city historically. And we've got the, the whole Richard III thing that, that happened a few years ago when they, they found the bones and identified them. And the lead archaeologist from that is going to come and do some project work across our school for the whole age range, three all the way to 16. So we could do some really exciting things there as well. I think these are the opportunities um, within a multi-academy trust. All too often you hear about, it's about finance, it's about the business side of it, it's about economies of scale, it's about um, centralising resources, which, which yes it is, um, and that frees up more money for the children in the classroom at the end of it. Um, but for me, it's about uh, professionals working together. I also think that these things aren't always about outcomes. Um, you sit down to try and improve outcomes. But what you don't realise is you're actually working on process as well. There is something around having a coffee with colleagues with whom you've never worked before and on a blank piece of paper saying, right, what is it we're trying to achieve? I think the process often inadvertently outweighs the outcome. Um, and you've, without realising it, you've got more out of the process than you realise. 100%. And I think also to add to that, unfortunately, like you say, I think sometimes the outcome is, is the only thing people focus on. Um, oh. and they, miss, they miss the point. Um, yeah. and, and you talk about the integration between primary and secondary. And, and it, by the sounds of, of the process that you, you're putting into place there, it'd be a lot smoother transition. I mean, I, I've got kids as well and, yeah. and I was quite fortunate. And, and also I was really intrigued that my youngest, she spent a certain amount of year five going to her secondary school and then quite a lot of time in year six, in particular the, the final two terms, you know, at least once a week going over and, and seeing and integrating, which I think is, is certainly something that, that needs to happen so that yeah. it's not, like you say, a completely separate sort of uh, scenario and, and schooling. But collaborative, collaborative between primary and secondary, there's, there's lots and lots of room there for improvement. There is. I mean, for example, we've got children, uh, we've got staff and older students, and we sometimes forget that our greatest resource in a school is the children. We yeah. sometimes forget that. So what we do sometimes, take the minibus and we go to one of the primaries and we'll do some work around STEM, you know, so science, technology um, and, and maths and, and engineering, these kind of things. And what we sometimes forget is that we have greater resources in a secondary school that can be shared with the primary. So um, 
they have a, a big focus on SATs, which is a big pressure that's put on primaries. But what we can do in the secondaries, we can come down and give them some enrichment that they might not otherwise be able to provide. So you can do some exciting science experiments where you have explosions and, you know, and, and lots of loud noises and whizzes and bangs and, and all this kind of thing. And that, those kind of things are really um, exciting for the children. Also, the languages work. You know, we've got language specialists who take people through to GCSE. They can come down and do a day of Spanish with the children. Um, you can do uh, some artwork. The other thing is computing. Which, and I think sometimes children are be better placed to deliver that than adults are. They have literally no fear around technology whatsoever. Whereas an adult is always worried if they press a button, they might do something wrong. The children just go straight in and they'll have a go at anything. They've got no fear. The other side to all of this is when we get the children into our school, we, has a, we have a series of transition events. They have three whole days in the school and they do lots of other things as well. We, they do a sports day with us. But something I haven't mentioned yet is our vertical tutoring. So to make our small school even smaller for the children and make it more personal and more familiar, we have vertical tutoring. So every day for 20 minutes, either in an assembly or a tutor period, you have children from year seven, eight, nine, 10 and 11 all working together. And the older ones will work with the younger ones. They'll support them. They'll guide them. They listen to them reading, this sort of thing. The younger ones are getting an enormous amount of that out of that. Um, but the older ones are getting leadership opportunities as well. And they say that the best way to learn something is to try and teach it to someone else. That's when you know that you've really mastered something. So we actually get children from lots and lots of primaries. Um, in fact, about 40 primaries we get children from. And sometimes a child will be the only child coming from that particular primary. So with our vertical tutoring, you've got the older students welcoming the younger ones, showing them around, taking them to the lessons, telling them about the school systems, how to queue up for your lunch, all these kind of things, uh, where to go and get the right things you need, you know, where to get your uniform from, everything. So that child already feels before the summer holidays even come that they're part of the Manahai family. And when they come in September, they really hit the ground um, running. So I think using the children in your school is incredibly powerful. So I, I think our integration process in our school takes less than two weeks, whereas in some schools, I think it takes about six weeks. Brilliant. And obviously we're, we're coming up to September. Um, recruitment will no doubt be high on the agenda of, of objectives. Uh, have you yeah. got many, many sort of positions that you're looking to fill for September? Yeah, we're looking for a second in command of English at the moment, which is a really exciting opportunity for someone. Um, and we're looking for an English teacher as well. Um, obviously, we haven't got to May the 31st yet. So I may have people in my own school who are looking for uh, promotions at this moment, either in school or in other schools. So there will be some opportunities for people to come and work in school and experience a bit of the magic of manner for themselves. Um, and, I, I, you know, we, we always manage to recruit really exciting people. Um, when I came to the school, the first thing I did in the school was to introduce core values. And um, I was laughed at at first. People say, you know, why do you want core values? You're not a FTSE 100 company. You know, you're a school. What, what are you thinking about? Um, and again, that turned out to be really important around uh, process. And we came up with excellence, inspiration and care and respect. And that was after asking children, governors, parents and everyone. And the inspiration part of that is trying to get inspirational teachers, because that's what I want as a parent. Um, and that's what I want as a head teacher, because if the children are inspired with fast paced lessons that are exciting, they're never going to misbehave and they are going to do the work and they are going to do the homework because they want to do it and they care about it. So inspiration came up as one of our core values. But when it comes to recruitment, um, it, it forms part of our line of questioning in our interview process. Absolutely. And, and like you say, that the, the students wholeheartedly make the school 
but yeah. the, the the teachers that are there and and working with those students is so so important now to have yeah. the right team and and it's not necessarily just in regards to qualification and, and experience it is whole the whole individual the personality and like you say the the ambition the traits the teamwork collaborative and and it really it really does um impact on on the year that you have moving forward um so excellent excellent okay and, and what's um the easiest way for for people to get in touch uh, or or connect with you um, I would really recommend, I mean, obviously LinkedIn is quite good. That's turning out to be a really good way of um, communicating, certainly at a professional level with people and through organisations. I'd also say um, our Facebook page is really powerful. We have people um, who can respond very quickly to questions if they ever appear on there. Our Twitter feed is really good as well, um, and that, that's similar. Um, also through the website, and there's an admin email address on there. So anytime people want to get in touch with us, we are really good at, um, at getting back to people as quickly as possible. So I'd encourage people to do it that way. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much um, for your time in, uh, in having this conversation. And uh, uh, like I say, if, uh, if you would like to... Uh, get in touch with um, Liam. I'll post all of the connection Twitter handle and Facebook feeds and links in the description below. So thank you ever so much, Liam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very much.